a couple of weeks ago, we started on our series on enjoying fruitfulness overflow. Enjoying fruitfulness overflow. And um, this is the third of those sessions. As you can see on our banner, we have um, the wayside heart that we looked at two weeks ago, the stony heart. Today, we're looking at the thorny heart, and that's why the leaf is on that uh, portion of the banner. And next week, we'll conclude this series by looking at the good heart. The four different types of hearts that Jesus talked about in that great parable. I've said to you that parable at times is called the parable of the sower, which we are calling it. Some people call it the parable of the seed. Some people call it the parable of the soils. And um, at the end of the day, it's just referring to the same parable, the same story. Our hearts are so important. Our hearts are so important, and we must never forget the fact that the Bible commands us to guard it, to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, we have read it all these three weeks uh, as well. He said, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. For out of it springs the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And it's important we understand, if the Bible commands us to keep our heart with diligence, if the Bible recommends that we should we should work on our hearts and protect it. It simply means we have a job to do. Many of us do not understand that in Scripture, every time you read Scripture, the Word of God, some of us take it absolute, meaning absolute as in God does everything. God does not do everything. He can do everything, but he doesn't do everything. There are two different things. God gives man some responsibility. Right from the very first man, he was given responsibility And then God does what only he can do. When God says you should keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence, it means that is your responsibility. Don't say I'm born again. I I now believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm led by the Holy Spirit. So, you know, just be like that. No, you have to put in things. You have to put in measures that help you to guard your heart. So in these four types of hearts that we learned about, Jesus said, some hearts are like a wayside heart. The seed never gets there, and the birds of the air steal it away. Some hearts are like the stony. I won't waste too much time on those because they're in the series. You can find them uh, on, on enjoying the Fruitfulness Overflow series. The second one, which we did last week, the, thorny, uh, the stony heart. It says some of these kind of hearts, that they are those that don't have much earth. If you look at it on the surface, you see earth. But very close to the surface, below the ground, where you don't see, is stones. So at times, if you are sowing in such a place, you may think that you are doing a good thing because it looks like proper earth. And you may see some reeds that don't need plenty of roots around there. And uh, when you put the seeds there, it is when you start to see that the the, the seeds are unable to have roots in themselves and grow that you find that they, they actually struggle. Now, the third kind of heart, which is the thorny heart he talked about. We read, again, Mark chapter 4 has been our Bible reading. Today was read by Pastor Moses earlier on in the service from verse 1 to verse 20. But I'll pick a few verses like I've done over the last few weeks. I'll read again verse 2 and verse 3. He said, Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teachings, Listen. Listen, verse 2. Verse 3 now. He said, Listen, verse 3. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. Listen, behold, pay attention, concentrate. I want to say something important. That's what Jesus was saying. And he began to talk about the different ones I've just described. But in verse 7, he said, And some fell among thorns. Now, I want you to be very mindful of verse 7. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up. The Thorns matured. The the thorns gained more strength. The thorns increased in their abilities and capacities. Many times we don't we just see the, and some fell among thorns and he needed no crop. Mm-mm. There's something there. The thorns grew up and choked it. The thorns grew up and choked it. They used the same earth. They used the same earth that the seed is meant to use to grow and become a fruit. They used it more than the seed that is meant to do the fruitfulness, that is meant to do the fruit bearing. 
they used more of that ground that is good for seed. Otherwise, they could not have grown. They didn't grow in the, thorny, in the, in the stony ground. They didn't grow there because there's no way they could grow there. But they grew in this ground because this ground is not so much of a bad ground, but it is a ground that has allowed thorns. The Bible says they were there, they grew up, and they choked it. So we need to understand this emphasis because when we start to look at what those thorns are, we must understand that they are, they are what we usually call within Christian circles familiar enemies. They are things that we have allowed over time to be part and parcel of our lives because we think in some way, shape, or form that they are not too important. We have allowed them to continue to uh, influence our lives and they are growing more by the day and choking our fruit bearing. Don't forget the whole essence of this message, this series is enjoying fruitfulness overflow. If you are going to be fruitful in this life, you must know how to deal with the things that have been put by the enemy to stop and choke your fruitfulness. So verse 19, verse 19, verse 18, sorry, verse 18. The Bible says, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, like I said. Their soil is not so much of a bad ground. They hear the word. They hear the word, verse 19. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Somebody say with me, number one, the cares of this world. Say the deceitfulness of riches. Say, and the desires for other things. It said, when they entered in, they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. When they enter in, they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So that was the description of what those thorns are. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Say, but what's wrong with having some care here and there? What's wrong with having riches? What's wrong with a desire for other things? In the true sense of it, nothing is wrong with any of those things. But when they grow, and they grow, and they're taking over our grounds, and they're choking our lives, and they're making it difficult for us to become fruitful, they are thorns. These three things represent what the Bible describes as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They are the same devices that the devil has used from day one. He has never changed his tactics because he has no capacity to do so. But he continues to use them because he gets results with them anyway. But the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. May God help us to enjoy the freedom that is in the truth of the world today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. God used John to warn us against these things. Verse 15. Let's read it together, everybody. Wherever you are, under the sound of my voice, you can read it from your Bible. Let's go. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do not love the world. It's a commandment. Don't love the world because there is a potential for you to want to love the world. The world presents itself closest to you every time. What you see in the physical is, much, is more real than the things you don't see. So the worldly system is easy to love without even knowing it. But the Bible says do not love the world or the things in the world. This is one of the things why we emphasize that you must not be saying I love my car. You should not love your car. It's a thing in the world. Like your car. I know you like your car, especially men. <laughs> when you talk about cars and men, they don't. They, you, <laughs> it's like jewelry and women. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but that is the truth. But you know what? Don't love the things. Don't say, I just love that my house. No, it's just another thing. It's just another thing. Do not love the world. Commandment, do not love the world. All the things in the world. He didn't say don't like them. He didn't say don't appreciate them. He didn't say don't use them. I remember 
Great servant of God, Archbishop Benson Idahosa, believe he's gone to be with the Lord in glory since 1996. He used to say this many years ago when he started, uh, you know, the Pentecostal movement, God showed him about prosperity and things in the 60s. This was way, way, way strange message and doctrines those days. And uh, he bought a, a mobilet. Some of you will never know what this is, but it's like a bicycle. Actually, it's like a motorcycle, but it's like a bicycle. You pedal it a bit, you wind up the engine, and then it powers you for some time. When it's going down, you wind it again. Believe me, something like that existed before. But he bought one of those, and it was very uncommon then. Most preachers were on normal bicycles, rally bicycles. That's what they, that's the best. When you buy your rally, you have arrived. <laughs> So Archbishop Idauza bought his mobilet. They told him he has become worldly. <laughs> he is now a carnal, a carnal man. <laughs> so the other preachers brought him together to do deliverance. <laughs> so they circled around him and they were casting out all the demons of loving the world and all those things. So after about one hour of praying, sweating, they asked him, <laughs> has the demon left? He said, no. <laughs> He said, sorry, the demon is still here because I still have the key. <laughs> so they told him to get away. He went out, he drove his mobility, he went away. I think a couple of months later, the pastor's wife was about to put to bed and there was no way they could use a bicycle. So they came and knocked on his door and asked him if they can borrow his mobility. He said, ah, this demon is in. <laughs> you want to climb a demon? <laughs> He was a very funny man. But you know, we have done some foolish things like that. It doesn't mean we shouldn't use those things, but we should not love them. Meaning, look at the next phrase. He says, if anyone loves the Lord, the love of the Father is not in him. Romans 5.5 5 says, God has shed his love abroad in our hearts. God does not want your heart contesting. He doesn't want to be contesting with anything else in your heart. Not your wife, not your car, not your husband, not your job, not anything, not anyone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Everything. Not part of it. Any part of your heart that is holding on to things is not yet been surrendered to God. Every one of us must understand. He said, if I, read it again, 1 John 2, 15. He said, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's not in him. Let's read the reason, verse 16. Go to verse 16. Everybody together, let's continue. For all that is in the world, the three things again, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of what? It's of the world. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. Why? Verse 17. Let's shout verse 17 together wherever you are. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The only thing that will endure all these things we are doing is the love of God. Because he's the one that was. He is the one that is. And he's the one that is to come. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the beginning and the end. Everything else exists in the moment of time. I have seen many people in the prime of their job. I've had a 30-year working career, so I've seen a few things. I've seen many people in the prime of their jobs. They were the darling of everybody. You know that time when your head is hot and you are producing like, <laughs> and everybody is, this is the best thing that has ever happened to this organization. And they were so celebrated. But 10 years later, some hotter heads came along. <laughs> some hotter heads came along. And then suddenly they gradually moved that man that they were all celebrating. They moved him first sign. They moved him to one smaller office. <laughs> That's sign number one. <laughs> they are gradually moving him to the door. <laughs> Because everything exists in a moment in time. Along the line, many of such people foolishly step on toes, are brutish, and do things because they have so much power. Then when they get to that place where they are gradually seeing that they are losing that power and it's now going to another, they start to get frustrated. And some of them don't end well. Some of them live frustrated if they survive it at all. I have seen it many times. 
I'm not saying you should not strive to be the best where you are in your line of business or achievements, but you must understand everything has a time. You will not be 35 years old forever. You will not. Even if you want to be, go and use all the things they use in this world. <laughs> you can't be. You can't be forever. 10 years time, you are 45. 10 years, you are 55, 65, 75. It will come so quickly, you'll be surprised. So you must understand that the love of God is what you must hold on to. The car you are celebrating today and the house that they gave you and they said, this is brand new, precinct. When I moved into my house, they said, this is brand new. It's 12 years old now. <laughs> they said, this is brand new. And everything was smell. You know how brand new things smell? Everything smells brand new. That, all that smell has gone now. <laughs> I've driven a car off the showroom many times, many times, brand new. Just drive it off the showroom. When you are coming out, it's smelling all, the, the, the thing is surrounding you. <laughs> After two months, it starts to go down a bit. <laughs> One year later, you remember, ah, it used to smell like this. <laughs> Everything is temporary. Don't kill yourself over things of this world. You see, these are the devil's tools. He said, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These things are not of the Father, but they are of the devil. First John 4, 4 calls him the God of this world. They are worldly things and thorns. They are worldly thorns that he uses to choke the potential for fruitfulness in our lives. And we're going to look at them one by one very quickly today. As I said, it is not a new thing. Genesis 3.6 tells us the very first time the devil used it to pull man down. It says, so when the woman, Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she saw that it was good for food. Somebody say lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. Somebody say lust of the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise. Somebody say the pride of life. She took it. She could not resist it. This is good for food. This is pleasant to the eye. And this can actually make me wise. Because the devil deceived her and said, you will not die. God is just saying, don't eat it because you will also know much more. You will know like he knows. And he knows that that is impossible. Because he tried it. And he could not get it. So the only thing is to come and deceive this person and tell her that she was going to do that. The last part of that sentence is, when we get to heaven, I will ask Adam. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. No question, no checking, no asking, ah, honey, what is happening? <laughs> he just ate. <laughs> and that is a lesson for every one of us to learn. Whether you are the man or the woman, this has nothing to do with a woman is the one tempted or blah, blah, blah. That's not the issue. If you are in a marriage... Whether your husband or your wife comes with an idea, say, honey, I got an idea. <laughs> Start praying. <laughs> Start praying. Holy Spirit, help me before I agree. Help me whether this is coming from you or a devil. I'm telling you, I'm not saying you should be monitoring each other, but it makes sense. Many people have together colluded like Ananias and Sapphira. They've done bad things and it cost them. But wise people like Abigail say, I will not join this foolishness. <laughs> and they survived. So when the man says, whether he's called bishop or pastor, take it from me. Even my wife, I give her this permission many times. Listen well. If you are not sure, say, just hold on a bit. Let me pray a bit more about this. I mean, of course, I will not just want to do anything anyhow. But anybody can be lured by the enemy without knowing. A business deal sounds so good. An opportunity is so good. And when the person comes to you and says, honey, I have this fantastic idea. This is what we'll do. Don't just jump on it and say, ah, let's go, let's go. Whilst I believe in agreement, I believe in not unduly holding up good ideas, you need to pray and say, Lord, help me. Especially when it's not clear or when there's a check in your spirit. So you tell the person, honey, let's pray a little bit more about this. Let's trust God. And the other person should be willing to let God have his way. Many times... God saves couples like that from entering into trouble. So I used to wonder how Adam just took it and ate. When we get to heaven, we will ask him. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. These are the same things. Even when he came to tempt 
Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Same things. He says, take the bread. Take the stones. Turn it to bread. Somebody say, lust of the flesh. Because before that time, the Bible says he had fasted 40 days and he was now hungry. He was unhungered. That is King James. Unhungered. <laughs> some, some words like that. He became unhungered. <laughs> he was hungry. So the very first thing the enemy went for was lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh. He came to him and said, turn these stones to bread. Now he could do that. He can even say, from now, all the mountains around me here are turned to bread. They will turn to bread. But what does that do? It gives the power to the devil. And then the devil now becomes the orchestrator of every miracle he will have to perform from there. So he said, no. Apart from the fact, my paraphrase, apart from the fact that I will disobey you, one thing you must know is that it is also written that man shall not live by bread alone. The word alone is very important because some Christians say man shall not live by bread. Uh -uh. Man shall not live by bread alone. Bread has its place. When you should eat bread, eat bread. When you should eat food, eat food. Okay? But remember that what gives you life is by going for every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. And then he said, he took him up to a pinnacle of the temple. He said, cast yourself down. It is written, he will give his angels charge over you. Actually quoting the writings of David in Psalm 91. He will give his angels charge over you. But you know something? He was a liar. He said, no, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then he took him up to a high mountain. And he said to him, which is, somebody say pride of life. It was pride of life. He could be so angry and say, I will cast myself down. This devil will see that not only one angel, all the angels of heaven will arrive before I land. <laughs> Again, that can happen, but that will be obeying the devil. And then he took him to the high mountain and said, look at all these regions. They have become mine. He was speaking the fact, but the truth is that all things belong to God ultimately. But as the God of this world, he was speaking a fact. He said, all these things have been given to me, and I will give them to you if you bow down and worship me. Somebody said, lost of the eyes. And then Jesus said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God only. And so he won over him. Why did I go through that again? You can read it in Matthew 4, verse 1 to 11. But what I'm trying to say is that these are the same ways we must resist these three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We must keep standing with the truth of the word of God, as alluring as they may be, and God will keep giving us victory in Jesus' name. So very quickly, what is the lust of the flesh? In Genesis 3, 6, the Bible says, and when she saw that it was good for food, and when she saw that it, she perceived that this is a different kind of fruit, this is something that is good. You see, our sinful nature is so close to the physical. It can so easily be tempted by the physical. It gives us the propensity to sin much more than any part. This is our physical bodies. Give us the propensity to sin. We use our tongues to lie. We use parts of our bodies to commit immorality. We use our eyes to see evil. We use our hands to shed innocent blood. We use our feet to rush into evil. All those things God said we should not do. So there is a propensity for a physical person to sin much more than any part of us. And we must understand, when the Bible says the lust of the flesh, the flesh is usually used in scripture to denote, of course, the physical flesh that you can see. But much more is talking about the fallen nature of man, the Adamic nature of man that had fallen. So we must understand, these fleshly desires are usually things that appeal to our physical being. They, 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 they are not bad in themselves when they are natural desires. Like I said about food, you can desire to eat. There's nothing wrong. But when you desire to eat every time uncontrollably, that is something wrong. That becomes gluttony. That becomes a, a lording over you of that spirit of gluttony. A gluten cannot control themselves. And so you cannot be spiritual. You cannot fast. It is impossible if food controls you. It is impossible for you to fast. It's impossible. You say you are fasting 6 a.m. By 8.30 a.m., your legs are shaking like that. <laughs> because you have not had your conflicts. 
<laughs> Don't talk about 12 noon or, or 4 p.m. That one is, <laughs> you are gone already. <laughs> because you cannot control this body to tell it, you know what? I eat when I want to eat and I don't eat when I don't want to eat. That is when you know that you are not succumbing to food. It's the same thing with other desires. The, the natural desire for a sexual union be, as designed by God between a man and his wife is not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. But when it becomes a lust, it graduates into all forms of immorality, like the Bible says. Every kind of sexual perversion have come from a lust of the flesh. They are natural desires that have been perverted by the enemy becoming a loss for the flesh. Whether it's masturbation, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality. These things that our modern world have sort of accepted as the norm and saying that nothing is wrong with them. One thing we don't do and we should never do as a people of God is to condemn anybody under any guise, any stronghold of the enemy whatsoever. We must be accepting in terms of loving everybody like God loves everyone. But we must understand that the natural desire that God has put between a man and a woman, a man and his wife actually, is one that must be preserved. And when that is preserved, it takes away the potential for every other lustful tendencies to take place. And so we must not allow these things to continue to rule over us. Every kind of lust for things is a lust of the flesh. Everything that just wants this, your body. You see, a, a desire for pleasure is not a bad thing. Even the Bible says at, the, at God's right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. So if he has pleasure in his right hand, it, doesn't, it means that pleasure is not a bad thing. But you see, a lust for pleasure brings laziness. A loss for pleasure makes somebody not like to walk. He just wants to party and holiday every time. That's why those people who are selling you all those programs online and tell you, you see, I'm by the beach, you want to join me next time? You are walking nine to five. They know what they are saying. The devil is using, I'm not saying they are bad things, but the devil is appealing to that part of man that loves pleasure. So, and he's getting many people by the day. One of them told me that he has a fantastic program. He said, free video. I said, ah, all these things you describe, free video. <laughs> I went and watched this. After the video, he said, I should pay 5,000 pounds. <laughs> he said, I should pay 5,000. I said, ah, I thought you said this thing is free. <laughs> I thought you said this thing is free. Many people have been paying like that all over the place, making money. That's why they can go to the side of uh, the beach in there <laughs> and, and show you something from from Miami, or, or from Singapore. <laughs> the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, let us guard it. They are thorns that even the life of a believer must continue to be getting rid. Listen, in Matthew 13, we don't need to turn to it, the, the parable that Jesus gave there about a man who sowed tears. He said, while men slept, the man had good planting, good ground, but he said, while men slept, the enemy came and he sold tears. Every time our spiritual life is down, you are not praying enough, you are not reading the Bible enough, you are not fellowshipping enough, you are not doing those things that should keep you live and vibrant. The potential for the devil to sow thorns always grows. It doesn't go away. You are getting rid of it now, he sows it again at the next opportunity. It's not a problem. It's just for you to realize that you have power to continue to remove it and not allow it to grow to the point where it chokes your fruitfulness. The lust of the flesh. We must be a people. Work has its place. Pleasure has its place. When you balance it, it's beautiful. When you balance it out, it's beautiful. In fact, when you overwork, it's also a lust. You have to understand that there is no way that when all you do is work and you don't think about how you rest your body. I work very hard, very, very hard. But when I sleep, my wife knows that because she's, she's the one always close, closest to me. When I sleep, I sleep soundly. I sleep deep. I have good dreams. 
I make sure that they, I do everything I can to enjoy. When I eat, I take time to enjoy what I want to eat. But I can go without food for as long as I want to go without food. You have to, it does, it's not a spiritual gift. You have to discipline yourself against the lust of the flesh. Every one person must understand that we are fallible to this lust and we must continue to work against it. The Bible says the word of God has quickened us with the power to rise above these fleshly tendencies. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Ephesians 2, 1. He said, and you he made alive who were dead. Somebody say, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were, past tense. He has now made us alive. This is your new status. Are you in Christ? Are you born again? You have control over the flesh. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. Verse 2. He said, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. When you were not born again, when whatever the devil tells you to do, you do. Drink, you have to drink. Smoke, you have to smoke. Eat, you have to eat. Go and fornicate, you go and fornicate. Look at that, everything he said. You had no power, you were just going about. He said, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now walks in who? The sons of Disobedient. Now, now that spirit walks among those who are walking in disobedience, not in you. Now look at that, verse 3. He said, among all, among whom also we also, con- we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. We once did it. There is an acknowledgement and there should be an acknowledgement that that was our life before. This is why when somebody gets born again in quote and they are not properly born again, they keep wondering, that why am I still having these cravings all the time? Now, listen to me. The natural flesh, if you leave it, it has a craving for everything bad. Everything bad. Unless for things good, even in food. Notice that the food that are not good for you, they are the ones you like to eat most. Eat, 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 eat. And the ones that are really good for you, in many cases, you don't like those ones. <laughs> You notice that right from, right from childhood, you will see children, give them biscuit, chocolate, sweet, sweet. They will eat it 24 hours. But bring the vegetables, the fruits, they say, ah, what is this? <laughs> it's a natural phenomenon. So what I'm trying to say is that don't be surprised when your natural person, this flesh, is, is pushing you or wanting those bad things. Don't be surprised. The difference now is that you are no longer under its control. You are now free and you are now able to resist. The Bible says that fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, we were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. This is Ephesians 2, 3. We were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But go back to verse 1, Ephesians 2, 1. He said, you, he has made alive. You he made alive, made, past tense. Stay on the place where he has made you. And every time pray, Holy Spirit, help me. Romans 8, 11 says, if that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead be walking in you, how much more is it able to quicken your mortal bodies? Quickening your mortal bodies there is not just talking about you living healthy. It's part of it. But quickening your mortal bodies also means that it gives the grace for your Mortality to demonstrate the capacity and the power of immortality. The ability to control the flesh. The ability to stay in the place of discipline, not allowing yourself to be manipulated by the lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. She saw also in Genesis 3, 6, the Bible says she also saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. It was good to behold. The lust of the eye is a sinful desire to possess what we see or those things that have a visual appeal. Many people are living in covetousness today because of this thorn, the lust of the eyes. Everything they see, they want to have. It is a terrible thing. Most sins originate, they have their root in the lust of the eyes. You see, God gave us physical eyes to be able to see. 
to be able to lead. He said, if the blind leave the blind, they will fall into a ditch. So he doesn't want somebody not to see. He wants us to see, not just physical seeing, but he wants us to observe. In Proverbs 6, he said, go to the ant and observe. He wants us to see. But what God is doing, what God wants us to do when we see, is to be able to learn. When you see something that has been achieved somewhere, you learn, you should be inspired. But you see, when what you see becomes something that is pursuing your heart and is making it so difficult and is taking your control. When you sleep, you are dreaming about it and you want to do it and you just, and then it's taking you over. It has become a lust of the eyes because there is nothing about what you see that should control you. Rather, you can learn, you can be, you can be enlightened. Many people are walking in covetousness today because of what they see. Many people are seeking fame, fortune, and all forms of glitter today because they see famous people. Preachers see famous preachers and now start to do things that want to give them that same fame. People in the business world see other prominent business people and instead of looking at what it is God has put in them to become who God wants them to be, they start to allow that thing to work on them and it becomes covetousness and then they get themselves involved in things that are shady and are not good. Every one of us must understand the desire to, to want to do something that is evil comes by what we see. We talked about David very much last week, uh, uh, David and Bathsheba. He didn't just wake up one day and call her into the room. He saw her first, and what he saw was something that if he had control over his eyes, it would not have led to the next step of committing adultery with that woman. The things you see, Job was very clever. The Bible says in Job 31 verse 1, he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why should I look upon a young woman? The word covenant there means I have, like we, we talk about in Romans 12, one that says that we must present our bodies as living sacrifices. I have put this, my eyes, under a sacrificial life to God, that God should continue to help me to see correctly and not more. <laughs> Anything outside seeing what God wants us to see is a lust of the eyes. Both the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes need a lot of discipline. We need the fruit of the Spirit, the last bit of the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. We read about it in Galatians 5.22. Self-control. Self-control. We need it in many aspects of our life. Control yourself. You are looking at something and that image is good at the first sight. And like, like I always say to young men when we're talking in, in, in men and young, young men's groups and things, I say, there's nothing wrong in looking at a woman, a beautiful woman. There's nothing wrong. It's, it's natural in man to see a beautiful woman and just see and appreciate that this is a beautiful person. There's nothing wrong with that. Put a, put a, bring a room full of young men and just let one lady walk across the hall. Or the person talking will, will skip the line and then the other ones will not listen. <laughs> it's natural. And believe me, there's nothing wrong in that gaze of this is beautiful. Because God put it there. If we don't see that way, we will not be getting married. If, men were, if women were looking like men to men, then there's no, there's, there will be no attraction. There will be no way to see that this is one you can marry. You get what I'm saying? But you see, there is that point where the devil say, when you say, oh, this is a beautiful lady, leave it there and carry your eyes quick. <laughs> there's that point where the devil say, really? Look again. That look again, that is where the problem starts. <laughs> Because the moment he said, look again and you obey, he will now start to make you see what you should not see and do the things Jesus said you should not do. It's very simple. Discipline your eye. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look? That, what it means by that is, why then should I have to take on a beautiful maiden? Because all I need to do is to say, this is beauty and let it be. Hallelujah. Covetousness is a problem in our world today. Many people have gone into debt because of covetousness. They look at things that others have and they feel, I must have this. The English people call it keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up with people who are, who are around you and you feel you must do everything they are doing. Foolishness. If your neighbor goes on a holiday and they just came back and they're saying, oh, we just came back from Hawaii. <laughs> 
and you start to worry yourself about how you will go to Hawaii, you are making a, you are making a mistake. Go to Cornwall first. <laughs> Take the picture <laughs> and enjoy yourself. Hallelujah. Go to Cornwall. What's wrong with it? Go to, Tef, the, what do you call it? That bridge in Telford. <laughs> What's that bridge in Telford? Iron Bridge. Go there, enjoy yourself with your, take picture with your children. <laughs> That's what I used to do before my children became wise. <laughs> take them to those places, take quick picture, quick, quick. <laughs> As they grew, we couldn't, that one didn't work again. <laughs> Just kidding. But you know what? Enjoy your life. Everything that you are seeing in this life has a phase. Has a phase. When I was a young preacher in the early 90s, I didn't have one suit. The last suit I wore was the one I used for graduation in 1989. I could not afford another one. In fact, by the time my wife met me in 1992, I did not have a suit. One. But I was invited to youth groups to preach. And I used to go and preach. I used to go and preach. And I just wear my shirt, my tie. I look smart and go. I, don't, I didn't even see it as anything. One day, one of my friends came to me and he said, Brother Dave, the way... You are being invited all over the place. I was just 22, 23. He said, you are being invited all over the place now. You can't be going like that. You should wear a suit. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, it's better you present yourself like that. I said, I said but I can't afford one now. So he said, I'll give you one of mine. Next time you are going, let me know. So when he brought his suit, it reached here and reached here. <laughs> and it was up to here. I told him, I said, bro, his name is Sam. I said, bro, Sam, if I wear this, <laughs> the people will not even listen to me at all. <laughs> And we, and we both laughed about it. <laughs> and it never bothered me. Suit. But you know something? There were many people our age that time who would go and borrow money to buy. They would go and do things. Things that are ephemeral. They, don't, they pass away. You will use them and it will just come and go. There is no status in life that is permanent. Just understand, enjoy your life as a couple. Enjoy your life where you are. When I first came to this country, the first house I lived with, my wife and son, an expectant son, was a studio flat. We lived there for three months, and we enjoyed it. I used to play games with my eldest son. He was about two and a half years old, so it was easy to do. We had only one bed, so there's no space for anybody else. When you, a pregnant woman is sleeping on a small bed, where is the other space? <laughs> so we bought a mat, a, a, sorry, a, what do you call this, camping bag, camping bag, and um, we roll it away at night. When we want to sleep at night, to make it fun, I will roll it and call my son and say, let's, let's run into this tunnel, and he likes the game. <laughs> he will fly in, as he's flying in, I say, God, thank you, that this, this boy is cooperating with me. <laughs> He thought we were playing a game. He didn't know that that is dad's way of using style to sleep. <laughs> Hallelujah. Then, you know, it's, it's life. It's, it's story today. I can laugh about it, but that was reality at a point. It didn't stop anything. We were coming back from Africa where he had his own room as a two-year-old. He had his own space. We had two cars. We had things. When we came here, we had to start all over, and this is how it is. Let's understand this. I want everyone under the sound of my voice to, today to know that whatever you don't have right now as a child of God, you don't need it. If it's this God I'm serving. Don't say, oh, brother, I need this thing. Take it from me. If you need it, he will give you. If you need it now, he will give you now. In the name of Jesus, never let the devil tell you God is withholding things from you. Psalm 84 verse 11. He said, the Lord God is a son, he's a shield. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. No good thing. I'm not saying you will never have that thing or you don't need it. I'm only saying you don't really need it now. Take it from me. When you need it, he will bring it your way. Yesterday, I was privileged to speak to the Nigerian Society of Engineers. Had a few people in, about a dozen people or so, just slightly more. And uh, it was a nice, cozy meeting. I've done a lot of the things like that for them. And I was playing these things through my mind. When I graduated in Nigeria in 1989, exactly four years which I was supposed to go and do 
an interview to, be, to become a professionally registered engineer. I went without much experience. I didn't have a mentor. I just knew it was four years. I've done one or two things. I put my paperwork together myself, and I went. When I got there, to cut the long story short, I was failed <laughs> because I didn't have all the evidence and things. And it put, it made me a bit demoralized because I felt I had put everything they, they wanted me to put. So God helped me. I met a man who was my head of department in the new institution I was working. And he now said, I will guide you. This is what you do next time and blah, 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 blah. And then God helped. I now joined another firm, had so much opportunity. Two years later, I went to the same interview, to the same panel, and by the grace of God, passed it very well. Ten years after that period, 1993, I came to this country. Ten years later, 2003, 2004, I became registered in this country. And within four years, I became a resource person to the same organization that had failed me ten years before. This is how God works. And so when I'm speaking to them now, almost 20 years even after all this one, I'm telling you, and they were saying, you know, uh, Dr. Dave, we want you to come to Nigeria. We need you to mentor young people and blah, blah, blah. And they were saying all those things in the afternoon yesterday. And I was just playing it all in my mind that this was the same institution that I could not get in as a much younger engineer. Everything has its time. And I want you to know that if you don't have it today, it doesn't mean you will not have it tomorrow. Don't kill yourself about it today. There is a treasure in waiting. The Bible says, beware of covetousness. Luke 12, 15. Beware of covetousness. Because everyone must understand that the work of covetousness is to make you entrapped. Jesus said, beware of covetousness. He said, man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Don't be deceived. Beware of covetousness. Luke chapter 6, verse 41. This is self-control. Many believers are taking time to control others instead of controlling themselves. Jesus said, control yourself. Don't control others. I'm not saying it's good not to advise others if you think, but you see, work on your life first. We have a body of Christ today that are policing other people. People on social media, policing pastors doing their work instead of them to get on with what it is and just trust God to help everybody to run this race. He said, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? <laughs> King James said, log of wood. I like that one. <laughs> because when you say plank, you don't see the picture. It's a log of wood. <laughs> you are seeing the speck. Many people are going about seeing the speck in other people. And tell me, who does not have a speck in this world? Who is the person that is perfect? This is why when I see people who are hopping from church to church looking for that perfect pastor. I wish them well because one day they will just hear the trumpet sound. <laughs> then they see that, ah, only that one that is appearing in heaven has actually brought perfection. There's nobody that is perfect. It's not, it's not in any way saying people should live anyhow. But we must understand every one of us has a responsibility to work on ourselves. They say, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? He said, or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck in your, that is in your eye. When you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Hallelujah. First, remove your own. Self-control. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. The work of the devil is to give you an assignment of people control. I have no right whatsoever to try to control anybody here. That's why by the grace of God in this church, we pray and we tell you what God is saying. We don't in any way try to control you. We want you to have self-control. So everything we do, we say, do it as God lays it on your heart. Do it as God lays it on your heart. Because it is not a duty of man. This is important because the energy we are using to try to fix others if we spend it on ourselves, we will overcome the many things that the enemy is putting to make us covetous. And God will help us in Jesus' name. Finally, it talks about the pride of life. The pride of life. This means, like we talked about pride last week, we just can't move away from it. It's so important. This, this desire to seek to want to elevate oneself above others and fulfill personal desires is the pride of life. The devil said to Jesus, 
cast yourself down. It is written, he will give his angels charge over you. You know, if pride had been allowed, what will happen then is Jesus would have obeyed the devil. This is the root cause of strife in families. Husbands competing against their wives, it beats my imagination. Brothers, siblings complete, competing amongst themselves, it beats my imagination. Church members competing among themselves to wear the best clothes, to ride the nice cars, to live in the best houses. Using their children to compete among themselves. I saw that a lot when I was growing up. My son is in this university. Oh, really? My son and daughter are in that university. <laughs> say you say he's your son, me, son and daughter. <laughs> and I watched those men in their 40s, 50s that time. I was a little boy, but I saw the foolishness. I saw the foolishness. Some of them today are no more. Some of them are being cared for like babies in their 80s and 90s. Frivolities, foolishness, pride, pride, pride. This is the problem with churches, pastors competing among themselves. You meet a pastor, oh, hello, pastor, how are you? God bless you. The next thing he wants to hear is what is the size of your congregation? I don't answer anybody that kind of nonsense question. I don't. Because the size of this congregation is heavenly. <laughs> it has no answer. <laughs> so a pastor, an 8,000 powerful church in Kamunda. <laughs> in the town of Kamunda. <laughs> and so what? <laughs> we should not sleep again. <laughs> they say, oh, I just parked my car outside when I we got into the meeting. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my driver is waiting to take me to the airport because my Gulf Stream is parked in Birmingham. <laughs> Pride. Pride. <laughs> this is why there's problem. Among nations, developing countries, borrowing money, borrowing money, borrowing money, trying to compete with others, and then the people borrowing money are stealing the money, and nothing is happening anyway. Pride, pride, pride. Pride of life exalts itself in direct contradiction to Jesus' requirement for righteousness. Jesus' requirement for righteousness is that of humility. The pride of life always stands in our way if we want to truly be a servant of God. In this kingdom, if you want to go up, the way is down. That's why Jesus taught his disciples, go down. Wash each other's feet. You want to be something? Go down. Go down. It is the arrogance that separates us from others. Siblings should work together. You have an elder brother here, a junior sister there, the God who designed you and put you together is to make you work together. Leverage capacity of your oneness from the same womb. Don't fight each other. Foolishness and pride of life. Pastors striving with church members, church members striving with pastors. These are the nonsensities that are choking fruitfulness in our lives. I have seen many people in generations waste time and so they don't become productive at their prime of life. And when they become 50, suddenly the bolt, the, the light bulb comes on. And they are wondering, what have I done with my life? When I was in my 30s, I drove to Coventry for three and a half, three years, and then Birmingham, two years, and to Birmingham for I, 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 The energy to do that, I was walking there and serving in a, in a church in Wolverhampton. If I, I asked my wife a few days ago, I said, if I wasted that time, what would have become of me? Use your time wise. I don't, you don't, you should not have time. I used to say to her, look, my heart is full of so many things to do that it has no spare room to keep grudges with anybody. No spare room because it's work. Do you know it's work to keep grudge with a person? Because you have to program your mind. When you see their call, the grudge, you say, don't take the... <laughs> Is it not hard work? <laughs> it's hard work. When they are passing, they didn't even see you. You are in traffic light. You are going this way. They are coming that way. You, 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 you'll be looking like that. <laughs> it's too much work. Instead, all that energy you are putting to be annoyed. You should be, <laughs> you should be thinking productive. That's why there is no fruitfulness. 
That's why you lack, you lack ideas. Or even when you have them, you are not giving enough energy to them, to give life to them, to bear fruit. Because you are expending it on things. Pride of life is a lie. King, uh, uh, the Syrian army captain, Naaman, 2 Kings 5. The Bible says, Naaman, verse 9, went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house. <laughs> stood at the door, and Elisha sent a message to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Look at verse 11. Let's read what a man with pride of life says. Let's read together. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me. Who are you? Because you are captain of an army? The prophet of God, he will surely come out to you. Ha! After giving you the word of life. He said, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. And the first day I read this, I said, ah, if you know all this one, <laughs> you should have just gone and stand by yourself and wave. If you know all those things, why are you saying somebody should come and do it? <laughs> Imagine the cheek. This man says, he will surely come out to me. I thought, I said to myself, we must not let the pride of life. Many people cannot belong to churches today because they don't recognize them in the church. When they come to a church, they want them to be recognized as the giver, <laughs> the pillar. <laughs> Christ is the pillar of every true church. Christ is the pillar of every true church. I respect every member of this church, but this church has no pillar anywhere other than Christ. No pillar. So if anybody ever tells you, I am not a small person in that church, tell them that's not what Pastor David said, that there's nobody. <laughs> there's no big man anywhere. Naaman became too big. Thank God, verse 12, verse 13. His servants came to him. Out of mercy, God sent his servant to him. They came and said to him, verse 13, they said to him, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? <laughs> this is all you need to do. And the antidote to this is to humble yourself. Verse 14, let's, let's, let's read verse 14 together. That's the solution we should do against pride every time. Let's go together. So he went down. Number, let's go again. So he went down. Let's go again. So he went down. Last night when I was revising this, I saw those words and they stuck out to me. He went down. You need to go down. Just come to the country. They said, you know, everybody starts from somewhere and they just get on with it. They said, do you know who I am? I used to be professor, doctor, <laughs> evangelist, <laughs> bishop. <laughs> How can I do such a job? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Go down first. Dip yourself seven times. Because you are not coming out a leper after the seventh time. You are not coming out a leper. Why are you arguing? Go down. Go down. When I first came to the country, I used to teach some very naughty children mathematics as extra lesson. 10 pounds an hour to make money. And it was helping. If I did three in a week, that was 30 pounds. That paid my electricity bill that time. So they would look at me like this and say, why are you disturbing me? I don't like mathematics. <laughs> I sit down there. I didn't say, do you know who I am? I'm engineer. <laughs> From Nigeria, I used to have many drivers. Hey, 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 hey. I went down. <laughs> I went down. People just see you at a point. They don't know your history. A young man rang me last week, one of our academic colleagues in another university, young guy. He says, I want to be like you. I say, he said, I said, really? I said, God bless you, whatever. Let's pray and you know, follow anything you can. That's why I say to anyone who says that to me. I say, whatever God leads to you, follow us on Facebook. You know, ask me any question anytime. Let's keep serving God. He said, because I looked at your profile online and I saw this, I saw that you have done this, you have done this, and you are doing this, you are doing that. He said, yeah, da, 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 da. 
I said, my friend, that's 30 years of work you are looking at there. It's not three years, not 13, not 23. Three, zero. I didn't jump here. Let's pray.